are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are my interviews with the production designer for the Green Knight, Jade Healy, and the cinematographer, Andrew Draws Palermo. today talking with the production designer for the green knight jade healy jade how are you today i'm fantastic how are you i'm doing great i saw your movie how could i not be doing great (laughs) (laughs) good i'm so glad i'm so happy to be talking about this film honestly oh i'm sure i'm sure it's not every day that you get called to work on an historical fantasy epic Uh, what is it like getting that kind of a call to work on an ambitious project like this I mean, it's different because it's David, who is my longtime collaborator. So it's more like I get an email that's like, here's this draft of something I'm working on. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. You know, that's sort of I I just that's it's more like that. And then I go, cool, when? And and that's it. You know, and then we get into it. So I was just excited that David was going to be doing something like I knew we were going to be doing something more stylized. And that was really exciting. You know, I was I was stoked. (laughs) I was like, yes, castles, let's do this. He's definitely not a filmmaker that ever repeats himself, which I'm sure is great creative challenge for you because it, it just must be very exhilarating to know that this is not going to be the same as the last one and it's going to present new challenges and new opportunities each time. Um, so in talking about like the challenges and opportunities that you had to work on with The Green Knight here, uh, what would you say was probably the most challenging aspect of designing the world that David Lowry wanted to communicate to the screen. I think, um, you know, as David has spoke about this already, but we definitely like bit off a lot. It was very Mm -hmm. ambitious. Um, The scale of sort of the world we wanted to create was ambitious. And of course the, the, the monetary constraints and and time is always the thing, you know, you have some, a certain amount of time to shoot and you have a certain amount of time, a certain amount of money to kind of design the world. So for, as a designer, your dream is always you read you work, you read the script and you can just world build everything just from yeah. scratch. Um, but we, you know, we had to sort of figure out how we were going to present this world, working with some builds and then some practical locations and, and marry it all together. So that was the challenge. You know, it's always on every movie, except unless you have all the money in the world, <laughs> which is what I'm doing now. And it's great. And you can build whatever you want. That's one thing, but that wasn't what it was, but it presents these amazing challenges that when you can overcome them, something, something better emerges from it. Mm-hmm. So I always, I think it's great when um, you're presented with sort of these, uh, these um, obstacles and then something uh, is born from it that you wouldn't have thought of that t- ends up working out even better. So I, I like to think that we ended up where we were supposed to be. Would you say that that's also the most rewarding aspect of what it is that you do when those challenges pay off? Yeah. Yeah. I think troubleshooting and, and trying to come up with um, ways to solve uh, the you know location build issues is, is always very rewarding as a designer when everyone's like, gosh, what do we do? And you're like, mm-hmm. all right, hang on. I have an idea. That's it's rewarding when you have an idea that everyone goes like, do you think he could pull that off? And you're like, I think so. And then it works. And then everyone's like this, that's great. So that that's exciting. And you know, that was with the crooked tower. That was one, one specific moment where yeah. 
we couldn't, it was so, we couldn't find a real location that was going to work. And we, we found like a barn that had one real stone wall that was really old, you know, from the hundreds of years ago. And then we figured out how to remove like one wall and rebuild and add exactly the details and, and stone floor and create fire, create something that made sense that was right. And I think it was successful and it worked out in that moment of, of seeing like just a empty barn and going, I think I can make this work. <laughs> so that's rewarding. Yeah. So take us through the process of finding these castle locations. Like how many pre-existing were there versus what you guys had to create on a soundstage? So we were of course limited with, um, with space. There was only one real sound soundstage there. So we ended up with a barn. Um, but we, I, when I start a project that I know is going to be part build, part locations, I always start by saying, here's what we have to build. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can give the producers an idea, like this is what I need in order to pull this off. So we knew we would build the great hall. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to build, um, Winifred's run of the Hollywell, Winifred's cottage that I knew was like, we weren't going to find something that would be period accurate inside mm -hmm. out. So that was something we built. And then, um, we, the Lord and ladies was something we knew we had to find. We just couldn't mm -hmm. build something in that scale. And so we looked at a lot of castles for that. And then the green chapel was, uh, was something also that we ended up finding, which was really, great. we built out the inside with the river and the steps, but mm -hmm. we, um, I guess I'm probably going to keep telling the story a lot, but our first AD was just, we were scouting something else. And then he just went, you know, 10, one in the woods and was like, guys, there's like, an, <laughs> there's an overgrown church back here. And then we're like, what? And, then, and that's how we found it. Someone didn't take us to it. It was just, it was part of this other castle. And it was like the chapel that belonged to the castle, but had been overgrown. And mm. there was just like some crazy woman who lived in the castle would bring these bags of stones for whatever reason. And she would just bury them there. So there was like sandbags and bags of stones from like, and there was so much crap in there that we had to kind of clean out to get to, but it was great because they let us, you know, um, there was some stone, like, you know, real things that we couldn't touch and adapt, but we were able to sort of dig out and build our little river and, and our steps and, yeah. and, and, and bring in all of our moss, obviously all the greens, we had to do, do that. But there was something that was so special about it. We weren't sure if it was big enough, but standing in it just felt so it just felt right. You know, we'd come upon it and it just felt right that in, in the more we spend time looking at the, you know, looking at the photos, we just knew that was our location. So that was when we found the Lauren ladies, we found the brothel interior was one that we found, which they were, um, it was this castle Braymore that they were, re they rebuilt it from its foundation mm -hmm. to be like an original, but it hadn't been open to the public yet. So they hadn't added a bunch of the crap. It was still kind of raw. Oh, nice. And empty and like dirt floor. And it was perfect. So we were able to kind of go in and like do what we need to do and dress it and add some, you know, stone floor and dirt and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and then we, um, I built out the corridor that, you know, the first scene where um, Gowan kind of runs is chasing, uh, you know, we built that in the same barn that we built the Crooked Tower, we repurposed it later. So it's a lot of that kind of thing, like making things work and figuring it out and doing, it's like a math that's you know problem that you're trying to solve basically i, I love whenever uh, you hear stories about people repurposing uh previous use set for another scene uh yeah and like that that it, i just find that so fascinating or 
facing one wall, you'll have, you know, a, a setting for one scene and opposite you will be an entirely different one. I just, I love hearing stuff like that. We really try to always do 360. And that was one of the things with the Great Hall, uh, mm -hmm. one of the considerations. David, he wants to be immersed in the world. It's important for me as well. And I, we want the actors to feel there. And we're not, we weren't doing like a ton of the effects. We knew that we didn't mm -hmm. have the money for set extensions. So for the Great Hall, it was important that we were building the ceiling, the whole thing was an enclosed set. We weren't gonna, you know, build it up to here and then make it bigger. So that was the conversations like, we, how big can we go? What can we do in order to create the space that we need it to be? So it's a lot of, it is a lot of math problems and figuring out like, how do we do that? And David will always sort of um, add a set, you know, like the brothel hallway was something he added later, you know, like I need this, you know, as he, as he edits, as he's going, he's always, he'll be like, I need, I'm, I'm thinking I need, I need another moment here. How can mm -hmm. this, I need something like this. Is there anything we can do? And then I'll just start thinking in my brain, oh, where, where can we kind of do that? Yeah. So I, I'm used to that, but it's always, you know, the King's, the King's chambers we built. Um, and then that's it. Yeah. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of mix of building and then um, relocation, but the Lord and ladies, that was an entire location we found most of it in one location and then we found like his bedroom we we did somewhere else mm -hmm. so yeah so i want to talk about like taking these real locations both the lord and lady castle as a interior and then also you have these very epic exterior shots that just look so great in scope and you mentioned earlier like sometimes you'll arrive on a set and you know move some rocks around, lay some dirt, things like that. I feel like those are the small details that no one ever really talks about. They just take the exteriors for granted. Oh, that's exactly how it was when they found it sort of thing. So what kind of work had to go into trying to create this like otherworldly feel for uh, some of these exteriors? Because there are times where our lead character is hallucinating and you know we don't know what's real and what's not. So what kind of uh, conversations went into that? The first part is really finding them. And often that's sort of, I, I have to head that, you know, mm -hmm. my spearhead finding locations and figuring out what's in if, if David's not happy is like pushing and pushing to figure out how to get something better. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's, for instance, like the battlefield is one of those ones that people don't, you don't think that much about it, but you're like, where can you make a real muddy, muddy, big, you know, you got to find a field and you got to fuck it up. You know? Yeah, essentially. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you got to do, and it's a lot of work, yeah. you know, it's a lot of work. So it's a lot of taking out, finding details that don't work, uh, contemporary elements and how to cover it and getting rid of tracks and just finding these these, these locations that have the right scope. And then of course, it's always about schedule and figuring out how do we, you know, like for instance, the, um, that, that really epic shot when he's leaving the Lord and ladies, mm -hmm. you know, and he runs out the door, we built, we, we, what, where we actually were on the castle didn't have an exterior like that. So we like copied right. the door, we rebuilt it and we put it on this amazing hilltop that we found, you know, I was scouting and was found this amazing. And we just, crazy in the middle of nowhere high and then he just goes through that and then runs out into the you know so it's like finding ways like how do we make the and same with like then we built the window and we just propped it up on on the crane and then shot through and you see you know the lady of the lord on his horse from below and this right it wasn't actually attached to the castle but it's like figuring out ways to do that it's like okay we've got this window here in our real castle but then we can use this over here and then we can create this this world that that makes sense for you know for our character I imagine a lot of pre-planning, storyboarding, things of that nature, it, it, like it has to go into something like this on this scale. You can't just pick up a camera and hope that what you're going to get on the day is going to work, obviously. No, I made a lot of concept art. I did 
I, I really drew more on this one than any other movie I ever, ever I imagine. had. Yeah, I really got into it and, and just sort of even like scribbles of like, okay, here's, we have a photograph of our locations. Like we built the doors here and then he's here and then we do that. And, and David's amazing because he does little story, you know, he does the storyboards as well. So we all mm-hmm. know what we're expecting. And he's so specific that you, you're you never showing up with David on the day where it's like, we're just going to wing it. He, you're designing sets around his shots. Right. That's sort of something. So with the, the great hall, we, that was our biggest set. So we knew we had to kind of, we got, I got in Ireland and was like, okay, immediately let's start drafting and making models so we could stand around the models and figure out what, how we need to adjust this and what we need to do so that David could get the shots that he wants. So it's really, I mean, so many, every, I mean, which is, you can see it in the film, like he's specifically saying, I need this, this is the shot. Then it, I, I'm going to pan this way. I'm going to boom up. It's going to be a crane and it needs to be this. And it's just like working through that, figuring it out, you know, like we're even with the cross and the, in the, on the way to the, the, in the river, on the way to the green chapel, mm-hmm. like, okay, what is that going to be? How, what do we need to see? Where will it be? And it's just like, you know, you just do a little drawing, you put it in and then he's like, yep, right there. You drop it in. Then he's, he's got the shot. So it's very, it's very specific, like the details for sure. Totally. And then, you know, you're blending historical text with fantasy as well. So in a way I imagine in your pre-planning and everything else that is that you're doing for your job, you're, I imagine striving to be period accurate and then you'll have a conversation with David. He'll mention how he wants something from his, from his mind or something from the screenplay that doesn't exist in real life, but you guys got to figure out a way to design it. Can you talk about like that collaborative process of blending uh, historical and fiction together? Yeah. I think when we set out to make this movie, we always knew we weren't making like a historical medieval film. Mm -hmm. I think we were all on the same page that we wanted to make something that was a little bit more um, fantastical that had a bit of a, a modern sort of edge to it. And when we, mostly when we get to sort of the Lord and ladies, that's where things kind of ele- ele- elevate, escalate into a different world. And, you know, for instance, with the photo, you know, it's yeah. like this thing where it's like, okay, it's this and it's a pinhole camera. And we're like spending a lot of time figuring out what that might be and what that would look like. Of course, the plate's so much bigger than, you know, he wanted to be a specific size and you kind of mm-hmm. scratch your hair going like, Oh, okay. And, but it's just like when David has in his mind exactly what that wants to be so specific and it's just finding, getting it and, and doing tests. We had amazing artists there, craftsmen and getting it right until David's like, yeah, that that's what it is. But it is, we knew we were going to take some leaps um, and into the fantastical and we wanted to just let it not get too bogged up with the, with the historical details. And while I wanted to create these worlds that felt of another time and mm-hmm. medieval, I never was like, oh no, it has to be this. Or we, you know, I was really just like, I don't know. We're not, that's, I, if it would have tapestries be gone. I'm not, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Flags don't care. We're not doing mm-hmm. that. Like we had a specific look in mind and it didn't matter if that was not, you know, exactly what it would have been. We, we were striving for something different. We were, we were striving for a feel and, and, and something in tone and not trying to get too stuck on, you know, and with the costumes as well. Like we knew that the costumes were going to be something that were going to be almost contrasting in our world, something a little bit different. And we weren't trying to just be um, historical. So it was great fun. I mean, you can see just in the casting, you know, David, mm-hmm. of what, what we were doing in this film was, was meant to feel sort of a little bit otherworldly. Yeah, totally. And then uh, last question here. Anytime I talk to uh, anyone on the design team, there's usually, not always, but usually maybe a little Easter egg or something thrown in into uh, their work uh, somewhere. Do you have anything like that in the film that was something that I'm just going to leave this here as kind of like my mark, if you will, and, 
you know, maybe only I will know what it is or it's a joke between you and other members of the crew? I mean, there's, you know, when there's always Easter eggs, but especially with David, we like to do Easter eggs and Magoja um, has some really great ones. I think the ghost from uh, a ghost story shows up and on some of the costumes. Um, I was, th- I was thinking about that at one point, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. <laughs> does. And I think sometimes I'll add an Easter egg, but then it becomes David will be like, Ooh, I love that. And then it becomes a central thing. Like I had added, there's a painting of um in the Lord and Ladies with the fox. So you've seen, you know, mm-hmm. you've seen it now and, and Gowan running. That was an Easter egg that I add. I was like, what if on this side we have the they're chasing the fox and then on this side they're chasing Gowan in the yellow cloak. And it was a fun Easter egg for me that I wanted to put there. But then it became, you know, when Dave was like, what well, he likes the Easter egg, then suddenly you're like, you know, you're I think it's still in the movie, it's featured. You see sort of mm-hmm. like fox. So it goes from Easter egg to like featured moments. So <laughs> it's like sometimes the Easter eggs become uh, featured and they're not so Easter eggy anymore. <laughs> they become part of become a part of it. That's fantastic. Well, Jade, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your work, the process of working with David. It's really, really immersive and incredible work what you guys have done with this movie. And I do think that uh, I mean, all my colleagues so far have just been rapturous in their love for this movie. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that audiences will as well. So thank you very, very much. Me too. Gosh, yeah. Tell everyone to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping that with a year and a half of buildup at this point. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. It's so it's it's a real treat. I got to tell you, it's a real treat to have it coming out right now, especially because we're on the heels of, of finishing Peter Pan. We're just in the last mm-hmm. row. So it's amazing to sort of be finished, you know, starting the movie. This movie's coming out and we're finishing this one and then we'll see what we do next. <laughs> awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing what you guys do next as well. Thank you once again so, so much Thank for taking you. the time today. Thank you so much. All right, take care. I fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. Do not waste this. Andrew, how are you today? Very good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing really, really well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me because, oh boy, is there a lot to talk about with this one? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Truly, truly. So let's uh, first start off by uh, addressing the fact that this is not obviously the first time that you and David Lowry have collaborated on a film together so in that regard can you explain like what was your reaction when david first told you that hey i'm thinking about doing this arthurian uh legend story this epic fantasy the green knight yeah you know he's um he's so casual about these things and he's not often uh he, he's a little maybe he just wants to get a very pure read um mm-hmm. and so he didn't really tell me anything other than hey i'm thinking about making a uh a medieval epic. I, I don't know if anyone's going to fund it. I don't know if I can find the money, but here's the script. And so, you know, I read the script and I, and I loved it. And I thought it was incredible. And there's so much to work with and, um, you know, the settings that you could already imagine and uh, the journey uh, uh, to, to do it with that crew of people. Um, those the filmmakers, uh, uh, David and his producers, Toby and James and um, and Mal and Malgoja, the costume designer, and Jade, the production designer. You know, this, that is my film family, and to go on this journey together was um, 
something that I would would not miss for the world. Oh, I don't I don't blame you whatsoever because I think your work on this movie is so striking. It's probably uh, if I'm being completely honest when I tell you it's probably the most visually uh, stimulating film I've seen all year so far. It's just really really incredible oh, work. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that work here. Um, you have these really darkly lit interiors and really brightly lit exteriors. Can you talk a bit about the use of shadows for these interiors and how much contrast you decided to utilize uh, during uh, those scenes? Yeah, one of the kind of challenges that I I set for myself, um, particularly I, I'm thinking of one scene is uh, the interior of St. Winifred's Cottage. Um, yes, good one. I, I wanted to put as little light on the screen as I could while you could still understand what was happening. Um, and, and I f- really fear what's going to happen to the film whenever a streaming service gets hold of it and, <sighs> and compresses the hell out Crunched of it. Crunched Theatrically, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, exactly. And the, the terrible sort of pixelation that happens mm-hmm. as well. It's going to, it's going to go very poorly, but, um, but that, that seemed to me when I was seeing it projected, um, I just love that I kind of had to lean in yeah. and, and it, it reminds me of the way when you wake up in the middle of the night, you need a second sometimes to get your bearings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted that feeling to feel, you know, to feel very startling that there's a presence in the room that he wasn't anticipating. Um, and, and that's, that's often how I think of the the interiors of this world in general. Like they would have been very dark, very drafty and cold. Um, and if you weren't of the upper class, you wouldn't have had a, a million candles to illuminate your house. You would have the daylight. And then when it was gone, uh, you know, it's, it's dark except for your fireplace maybe. And um, so I, I kind of wanted to lean into that. Uh, and then, you know, the outside, uh, the Irish landscape just was um, such an embarrassment of riches. And, um, you know, we got uh, got some great weather for some of these scenes. And, um, you know, it's really a real joy to shoot um, such such beautiful landscapes. And um, there's a great video, actually, David sent me the other day on text that we had scouted, you know, for two weeks or something. We just seen incredible location after incredible location. And I'm standing on top of a mountain and he, he pans over to me with his iPhone and he, I just shake my head and I'm like, nah, it's not for me. This one isn't any good. But what we're standing in front of is absolutely magnificent. But I had become so desensitized to the beauty around me that I just wasn't, you know, being appreciative of what I was actually seeing. I just, you know, that's uh, really kind of indicative of the whole experience is that we had such um such beauty to choose from that we could be very particular about what we needed. And, um, it was a funny reminder of the experience of scouting that movie. Hey, hey there. there, I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we 
even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. I mean, it's got to be a really incredible experience because you guys are working with, you know, a $15 million budget here. So it's not like you have the ability to say, oh, we'll shoot this in front of a green screen and we'll figure out the visuals later. It, it, these are real sets, real yeah. exteriors. And for you, I'm sure that just must be absolutely thrilling to be able to play with so many tangible elements. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to um, to to beat. The real thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it's so, it's such a simple way of saying it, but, you know, a real fiery sky uh, sunset um, with the color on, on the subject, I think it's just, it's just you can't beat it. Um, and, and it's also kind of unphotographical in, in a, in a way too, you know, I try to take photos of landscapes and, um, and setting suns my whole life. And I don't think I've ever really captured the you know the immense beauty that um, can happen um, in real life. So to think that you could create it on a computer, um, you know, it's a tuberous in my opinion. But um, you know, there are talented people who have fooled me, I'm sure, and I didn't know. But um, you know, it's it's so fun just to have it tangibly in front of you. Absolutely, absolutely. So because you're dealing with uh, real world elements in terms of uh, weather and other things that can also like impact production. What would you say was probably the most challenging scene to shoot? Uh, because from what I understand in uh, previous conversations, David is very meticulous with storyboarding and his shot selection process. So I imagine you get the set knowing fully well what David wants, but in terms of actually capturing it, what would you say was the scene that was uh, that offered the most challenges in that regard? Yeah, it's um, there's one scene in particular that's coming to mind when um, it's, it, I think he kind of broke the scene up a little bit in the course of, if I'm recalling the final cut of the film properly, but one in which he's sort of traveling with um, Fox and, and it's the first time you witness the giants and the, the hand reaches over the mountain and um, mm -hmm. he, he sees them way up in the clouds. And this is before the ascent where you, he's more at eye level with them. But down in the mountain, we were just getting in the valley, we were just getting absolutely hammered with rain. Um, and this was only the second day of shooting the film. And it actually wasn't even meant to be on the schedule. It was meant to be a, a skeleton unit or camera test. But we were, of course, going to go for it and go big if we were going to do it at all. And, um, you know, I think by the end of that 
they had dumped my boot out and multiple cups of water. And I was, you know, everything I had was completely soaked through freezing weather. And, um, you know, it was just kind of like a welcome to Ireland and here you go. <laughs> and I think I went to you know, the outdoor store that weekend and dropped, you know, 400 euros of, uh, on rain gear and all this. And then I don't think it ever rained again. I think that was the hardest it ever was. Um, but it, 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 the texture that you get on camera and even in the final cut, you can see that the lens is just soaked and it, and it become, you feel it, you feel what Gawain must be experiencing to be soaked through cold to the bone hungry um and you know no end in sight so on the flip side of that um i know that a meticulous artist such as yourself probably is never satisfied uh with your work but if there was a sequence or a particular shot or anything like that that you can hang your hat on and say i'm proud of that one that one turned out all right (laughs) is there anything like that in this film that you would say like yeah that's i'm i'm proud of that yeah, really. Uh, there's two two in particular. I'm really um, quite happy with the the sequence um, with Winifred, and particularly in the exterior, mm-hmm. that really came together quite nicely. And and night exteriors can be very difficult for cinematographers. There's so yeah. much required of us to light up an exterior and make it feel natural, or or to make it feel magical. And um, those are so very hard. And um, that just came together wonderfully. We had the right conditions, the right weather. My plan worked very well. You know, sometimes you get out and you start turning on the lights and you're like, oh no, they're all in the wrong place. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with the way that scene came together. And I really am quite fond of the sequence at the end of the film, sort of um, what we call often the future montage or dream mm-hmm. montage of our vision. Um, and the way that that sequence cuts together and some of the shots in that, the way they move and feel, um, I like to think of movies often as kind of like being on a river and I don't really want to feel bumped. I don't, I just kind of want to keep moving and I don't want to, I don't want to be taken out of the movie ever. That sequence I feel is just, it just sucks me in every time, even when I would color it, I would just start watching the movie again. You know, even as I'm trying to be very technical, suddenly I'm just, I'm just watching it and I can't help myself and I'm taken in by the images and the performances and the settings. So um that that sequence there's some alchemy there that it's kind of unquantifiable in a way yeah i mean so much of that is just visual storytelling there's no dialogue during that final sequence and to me i think it is there's none yeah yeah i think it's the most jaw-dropping stunning sequence i've seen all year so far it'll definitely resonate with me for a very long time so kudos to you for that (laughs) you mentioned color thank you uh there are a lot of moments in this movie where we break away from uh i guess what one would call a natural look of light and there Mm -hmm. are the splashes Mm -hmm. of red green orange can you talk about um the decision to implement those into the movie um and what that conversation with david looked like yeah i started uh testing some of those things very early in scouting um and i really was uh, there's the sort of amber look towards the end of the film was the one that I was really kind of massaging throughout um, pre-pro and wondering what that might look like. And, and that was sort of born out of the, uh, um, my memory of Storaro's look of apocalypse now and sort of the mm-hmm. end of his journey when he's meeting Colonel Kurtz and, um, uh, and the way how feverish that felt and how hallucinatory and psychedelic. And um, I never revisited the shot, but I just kind of, 
kept going off what my memory was or maybe what interested me now as I was coloring it. Um, and, you know, I'd show David a pass at it and he'd say, you know, I like that, but it's a little too, there's a little too much green in it for me. What do you think if we push it a bit warmer and I'd try mm -hmm. something? And then with that in place, I kind of was looking towards the beginning of the movie of like, how do we start to, how do we have this movie kick off with a world where we understand that magic exists? Mm -hmm. And how can I, how can I weave that through quickly? Um, without without being over the top with our VFX or anything. And um, it felt to me that when the witches were together and Morgan Le Fay and uh, Gawain's sisters, that there could be a presence of green again and that they were, you know, this sort of um, this ancient magic that wasn't Christian um, and more pagan. And um, and that was sort of another kind of foothold. And then, and then from there, it just kind of worked that I would try to find the feelings that I was looking for in different scenes. And through David's suggestions of, you know, maybe when he goes underwater, we start to hit him with lights, um, you know, in St. Winifred's pond that, you know, these lights come on and another light comes on and that was his idea. And, and then that was a leap off for us even to introduce color again in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I had a great color, Salisar Arnold that I've used for um, as long as I've been making movies at Photochem and um, he's such a great, a great resource for me and um, Photochem's been so supportive of my of my career so you know I had I was well taken care of as we were working through some of those some of those ideas that's uh that's pretty awesome to hear because like I said I, I I can't reiterate this enough this movie looks incredible <laughs> so I always like to <laughs> Thank ask, you. Thank I always you. like to ask people so at the uh, end of these interviews what's next and we know what's next uh right now uh in terms of David Lowry working on Peter Pan and Wendy, but uh, for you, uh, what is what is the next thing that you're working on? If you're allowed to tell us, I'm um, I'm not unfortunately. I'm I've been on something all year. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm under a strict NDA. If it doesn't go to your, that's are totally you recording okay. this for, to put audio on or to? Print? We're we're not going to pry this out of you. Uh, Don't worry about it. <laughs> we understand okay. this is the nature of the business. Sometimes I wish I could. I'm very I'm very yeah I'm very excited to to share it when the time comes. But yeah, so I've been in Budapest for the year shooting and. Um, yeah. Well, we'll definitely remember this moment where you said you were very excited because now we're excited and we can't wait to see what you do next. So <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you very much yeah. for that, Andrew. I'm looking forward to again a, another time with David as well. It'll be we've got some things cooking that I'm very excited about as well. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And I love digging into this movie with you. So congratulations, too, on the film just finally being released. Thank you. Released. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank you, man. I really appreciate it. All right. You have a great rest of your day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the production designer for The Green Knight, Jade Healy, and the cinematographer, Andrew Draws Palermo, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.